The scripture that was read came from the gospel according to Dr. Luke, the 13th chapter and the first through the ninth verses. And I want to lift up the sixth verse, or beginning at the sixth verse. And it says, and he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it one day and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, look, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Enough is enough. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? Why does it even use up the resources? Why do we continue to allow it to take advantage of us? Cut it down. Cut it down. Look, for three years I've been coming looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, sir, leave it alone for this year until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. Cut it down. It's a waste of time, resources, energy, money, investments. It's a total waste. Cut it down. The question that often comes up when we see bad things happening all around us and different tragedies is, why does it seem like bad things happen to good people? Sometimes we look around and we see these massive tragedies and loss of life and we wonder, why would God allow these kinds of things in the lives of people? Well, I invite you as we wrestle with this for today, I invite you to pray with me as I preach a message I have titled, By Your Fruits. By your fruits. Let us pray. Father, you thought we were worth saving. So you did not cut us down. But you gave us grace. You gave us another chance. And with that chance, oh God, help us to bear fruit. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus tells this parable after hearing about some Galileans who had perished and whose blood had mixed with the blood of Gentiles, perhaps after some kind of massacre or war. In other words, it is bad enough that Gentiles should not mingle with Jews when they are alive, but it's equally, if not more outrageous, that their bloods should be mingled in death. And so Jesus was being made aware of this abomination from those who were present around him. Now before I get into the meaning of the parable, I want to spend a few moments talking about the intent behind bringing such information to Jesus in the first place. And there are essentially two things, two things that we need to consider here. First, this has a lot to do with Jewish purity. To these Jewish people around Jesus, 
It did not matter whether or not the Galileans were criminals themselves who had broken the law and deserved the punishment they received, or whether or not these Galileans had already been defiled through some of their own practices, for example, disobeying the Sabbath and things of that nature. All that mattered to these Jews who were surrounding Jesus was that the blood of the Galileans were being mingled with the blood of these Roman Gentiles. The issue at hand is that Gentiles are, for the most part, considered impure because they, they ate impure foods and they come into regular contact with impure substances. And what is even considered worse is that they intermarry and commit idolatry, defiling themselves with all kinds of sexual acts. The implication here is that there is a purity associated with the blood of Jews that should not be confused nor defiled by the blood of non-Jews. For Jewish people back then, and even Jewish people today, their blood is a big deal. Even at the hospital where I serve, whenever a Jewish person dies and there is blood that may be soaked in their clothing, the clothing has to be buried with the person. As a matter of fact, if there even is a little bit of blood in the IV tube, it has to be drained out so that that blood can be buried with the Jewish person. In cases that involve wounds or injuries, it's best to not disturb the body too much or even discard the bloody dressings because Jewish law considers the blood to be a part of the body and therefore deserving of burial. So knowing this, when those who were around Jesus came up to him and tells him that the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices, when they came and told Jesus that it's because they had in mind the things that I just shared with you. The blood is part of the body. The blood has to be buried with the body. And so by telling Jesus this, their concern was, do those people, those Galileans, who, those Jewish people who are now, their blood is being mixed up with these Gentile blood, with these, these, these sinners, are those Jewish people now condemned? The second issue has to do with fault from sin. What I mean here is that whenever a tragedy befalls someone in their lives, is it because of sin in their family? Keep in mind that the scriptures tell us that what? The sins of the fathers will be revisited upon the children to the third and the fourth generation. So sometimes when we see bad things happening to people, the mindset and the thinking is that maybe someone in their family did a really bad thing and what they're getting now is payment for what has occurred, perhaps. It could be that, or it could be sin in their very own lives. But whenever tragedy befalls people, we ask ourselves these questions. Why does bad things happen to people that we think are undeserving of this kind of death? Case in point, we reason in our minds when the tsunami wiped out a whole community. Why would God allow something like that to happen? Those people were innocent. A building collapsing, killing hundreds of people. Why would a good God allow something like that to happen? After a major earthquake, hurricanes, tornadoes that have taken the lives of hundreds of people, is it that they did something to deserve it? Or is there something that someone in their family did? 
that warranted this kind of judgment and punishment. Or even more recently, the killing of the school children in Uvalde, Texas. Or the people in Buffalo, New York. Surely these people did not do anything to deserve what they got. And, and I would agree with you, church. I would agree with you that even though we don't know the stories of these people, at the very least, they did not deserve to die in the way that they did. And some of us are dealing with our own sense of condemnation. We think that we are so bad that probably, you know, the fact that we aren't even six foot under is because God's grace is upon us because surely we have not been good people. And we condemn ourselves. Well, since they died in the way that they did, were these people guilty and deserving of condemnation? Condemnation means to show extreme disapproval and it is an act of declaring something awful or evil. And we're going somewhere, church. In a way, it is to express that something is so heinous and reprehensible that there is absolutely no redemptive value available or even possible. But biblically speaking, condemnation always indicates the potential for judgment. So Jesus says to these Jewish people who were very concerned about whether or not these Galileans were condemned, Jesus says to them, wait a second. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans just because they suffered this way? Jesus even goes further to say, how about those 18 people whom the Tower of Siloam fell on and killed? Were they worse offenders than all the other people who lived in Jerusalem? When, when, when we have tragedies that occur in the United States, the killing of people, do you think that those people died because they were worse sinners than you? And so they deserve what they got and you didn't? So you are better than them? Are you seeing what's happening here? Jesus is asking them to reflect on the fact that whether or not these Galileans or the 18 in Siloam were deserving of this kind of death or not, whether or not these Galileans or the 18 in Siloam were good Jews or unworthy Jews, whether or not these Galileans or the 18 in Siloam were condemnable or not, does not change the fact that unless they were repentant, while they were alive, the way they died means nothing. Mm -hmm. The way they died means nothing. If you are good in your own eyes, if you are bad in your own eyes, the way you die means absolutely nothing unless you repented. And since we don't know anything about these Galileans or the 18 in Siloam, and since we don't know if the children in Uvalde were paying for the sins of their forefathers or not. And since we don't know if the people in Buffalo were guilty of some sin or not, Jesus makes the point that whether we were deserving or they were deserving or not, we are subject to perishing no matter how we perish. As Christians, the people of God, we spend so much time thinking about how good we are and how bad other people are or appear to be, who's in or who's out, who's a more godly person or who's not. We spend so much time thinking about people and judging what we see that we fail to realize 
that whether we are right or wrong about another person's faith journey, there is only one thing that is important, and it's whether or not they have repented. But Jesus makes a very important point in the way that he sets up the parable by the two questions he asks. Look again with me. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Do you think that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed were worse offenders than all the other people who lived in Jerusalem? Jesus compares the Galileans who met with tragedy with those that did not. And Jesus compares the 18 in Siloam that met with tragedy and everyone else in Jerusalem. In other words, tragedy, no matter who it comes to, is not a measure of a person's sinfulness or their need to repent. Doesn't matter. In fact, even those who have not experienced a tragedy in their lives are also in need of repentance. For all, church, stay with me. Tragedy or no tragedy, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Tragedy or no tragedy in your life, mistakes or no mistake in your life, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means you and me have not made the mark. And so you and me need to repent. It is here that Jesus now, with that understanding, tells the parable of the fig tree. Let's look at it again. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it and didn't find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, look, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any fruit. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, sir, 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 leave it alone for this year too until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. There are some very important details in this parable that we need to know before we can fully comprehend and understand its significance in the context of repentance. The first thing to note is that the owner of the fig tree waited three years for the tree to bear fruit. He waited three years for the tree to bear fruit. This is significant, church, because it usually takes three years for any fig tree to bear fruit. It usually takes about three years for any fig tree to bear fruit. So, so, so the significance here is that since it usually takes three years to bear fruit, the likelihood, hear me now church, that it's going to bear fruit in the next year is minimal to none. If you haven't borne fruit in three years, the possibility of you bearing fruit with another year, zip, zilch, zero. So the vineyard's keeper, by saying, give it one more year, is either wasting time or he knows something we don't know. Because in the three years, he could have it could have been fertilized. It could have been getting all the blessings that God, I hope you hear me, church, could have been getting all the blessings, but it didn't bear any fruit. So giving it a little more time is going to do what? For something that doesn't bear fruit. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the fig tree was not cut down after three years. Cutting the tree down is a picture, church, of judgment. 
so the absence of judgment cannot be seen as anything that the tree did, hear me now, to earn it. The extra grace of not getting what it deserved did not come because the tree suddenly, all of a, all of a sudden, decided, look at me, I'm going to be a fruit now. I'm going to be a good tree. The decision to withhold judgment for a tree that's not bearing fruit has absolutely nothing to do with the fig tree, whether the fig tree decided to be a good fig tree or not. It had everything to do with the vineyard keeper who says, Master, wait, give it another year. Let me fertilize it. Let me work with it for a little bit. And if after a year it bears fruit, good. But if not, <laughs> then you have my blessings to cut it down. Church, I want you to hear me. The fig tree is you and me. If you're not hearing it in your spirit yet, you need to really, really listen to what I'm saying. For many of us, God has poured his blessings into us time and time and time again. And we have not borne any fruit. So what is deserving for us is not the Tower of Siloam, it is God's judgment. And for every one of us who have not been bearing fruit, when, when the master is ready to cut, the vine dresser shows up. The vine dresser says, hold up. Give it another year. Give it another chance. Another grace. Let me fertilize it. Let me send this fig tree to a church that believes in your word. Let me plant them in a soil where, you, you, where, where they'll get the nutrients that they need in order to bear fruit. But when I plant them in the good ground where they can hear God's word and grow and flourish, if they bear fruit, Fine, but if not, cut it down. For the master said, ah, why, does it even, why does it even use up the ground? Are you understanding what I'm saying? The fig tree could not, cannot escape judgment. But what the fig tree can do is repent. So the fig tree was deserving of condemnation and ready for judgment because after three years, it didn't bear any fruit. Now, the question becomes, okay, pastor, what do we mean by fruit? Let's talk about fruit. Bi biblically speaking, to bear fruit is a phrase that is used in the Bible to describe the outward actions that result from a person's condition inside. How you are inside is always going to be reflected by what you do on the outside. You cannot hide the condition of your hearts. Believe me when I tell you, I've tried. <laughs> you cannot hide the condition of your heart. And if you are not transformed from the inside, then the fruit that you bear will always look like the kind of tree that you are. You see, an orange tree cannot bear anything but oranges. A, a, a fig tree cannot bear anything but figs. So if you are bearing some kind of fruit, whether or not it's the kind of fruit you approve of, then you have to check what kind of tree 
you are. And that's why I say to everybody that this church is in the transforming business. We are conforming to Christ, right? In a way that we can now transform the world by the fruit we now bear. See, you can be a tree that is bearing rotten fruit. But if you allow your heart to be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit, then you can bear good fruit. See, see, see. So you got to understand what is happening in this church. You're not just coming here listening to Eve and Jackie sing and Jesse play and just a couple of songs. You feel good for a moment. You are being transformed by the renewing of your mind and your spirit that you may prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. Oh, yes. So, so, so if you look at the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter, the Apostle Paul contrasts the work of fruits of the flesh and those of the spirit. Here it is. In our sinful nature, this is the gospel church, in our sinful nature, we bear things such as idolatry, jealousy, dissensions, sexual immorality, witchcraft, hatred, discord, fits of rage, selfish ambition, envy, drunkenness, and the like. All of these things, Paul, not my words, Paul lets us know that those are the fruits of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and here is my favorite, self-control. So if you are bearing one kind of fruit, you know what the other kind of fruit is. What fruit are you bearing? Because guess what? It is by your fruit that you will be known. It's just that simple. If you are bearing the kind of fruit that is the fruit of the flesh, then you know that you are of the flesh. But if you are bearing the fruit of the Spirit, then you are of the Spirit. Now, don't get me wrong. There are days. <laughs> there are days when I have to look at the fruit that I'm bearing. And then I have to check myself. You see, if you are courageous enough, honest enough with yourself, if you are willing to go to the place that is uncomfortable for you and say to God, Lord God Almighty, the fruit that I am bearing is not the fruit that pleases you and not the fruit that pleases me. If you are willing to go to that place and not stay in your pride and in your own ego, but to go to that place, this is what Jesus is saying, whether or not, <laughs> the Galileans were good or not, as long as you repent, you'll begin to bear good fruit. You see, when you say, Lord, I, I, I really should not have said the things I have said. Forgive me, Lord. That is, in essence, a way of letting the vineyard keeper till your ground and fertilize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, the, the, the Holy Spirit cannot, for, won't fertilize a tree that don't think it needs any fertilization. 
If you think that you can do this on your own, then you have no need for the vine dresser. And when the vine dresser comes and the master comes and says, I've been looking at this tree for three years and it ain't bearing no fruit. Don't be the one where the vine dresser said, it don't even need fertilizer. Cut it down. Judgment. Cut it down. But let me hurry on. As Christians, our deepest desire must be to bear fruits of the Spirit. And to do that, you have to be in relationship with God. We must endeavor to seek to do the things outwardly that demonstrate that we have become new in Christ. So unlike that fig tree, we must bear fruit. Why? Because this is how you will be known. So what then is the key to bearing godly fruit? Jesus answered the question in John chapter 15. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me, I am the vine. You are the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears not just some fruit, but much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The key to bearing fruit in the Christian life is to abide in Jesus Christ. Now, let me, let me, let me make it plain. We live in an age when most people cannot live peaceably without their smartphones. And one of the absolute worst things that can happen is to be without a charger and have only two red bars on your phone. <laughs> and for many people, here's what happens. When that happens, and y'all know what I'm talking about, when this happens, you have two options. Option number one is to realize that what you're doing ain't really that important anyway. So you stop what you're doing to preserve your little two red bars until something more important comes up. That's option one, but you still, you know, that's option one. Option two is, well, maybe I can stretch it just a little bit more. And you keep going with your little two red bars to boop, shut off, done. So those are your two options when you are without a charger. <laughs> when, when you've lost your juice. Either way, the next few moments of your life after that is consumed with how quickly you can get to a charger. So someone will come to you and say, hey, how you doing? I'm doing all right, but really you're not even hearing them because you're trying to figure out, you, you have a charger? You, do you have a charger? And all you're doing is trying to figure out, you know, a, a building could be burning down, but you're like, I wonder if there's a charger in there. All you're concerned about is, I need to get to the juice. <laughs> and so you're trying to figure out how quickly you can get to a charger and now you're forced to pay attention to real life and not TikTok. But as desperate, but as desperate and as intentional we are about getting reconnected to the juice, 
is how desperate and intentional we need to be about our connection with God. When we are connected and intentional about our relationship with God, we end up producing the kind of fruit that only God can cultivate in us. It is God and God alone who does the work in us as he enables us to bear fruit and we become more like Christ. And the more we become like Christ, the more fruit we bear. Spending time, church, reading the word of God, praying and listening for the voice of God, engaging in the worship of God, whether here in the sanctuary or even online, fasting, giving of your time, your talents, and your money are some of the things that we should be doing as a way of cultivating the kind of relationship with God that, that, that allows us to bear fruit. And by not doing these things, it makes it harder to flee from that which is sinful. I'm certainly not telling you anything, church, that you do not know. I'm simply telling you, do them. It's just that simple. Do them. The fact that you're not doing them. We have Bible study, and our Bible study is amazing, if I may say so myself. And we are lucky if we have 12 people join. And I'm being honest. Somehow, people believe that it may not even be worth their time. What? But the moment calamity hits, all of a sudden, Pastor, can you come? Pastor, send the missionaries. Pray for me. I want to hear my name from the pulpit. What I'm telling you, church, is unless you are connected to the vine, it's not connected to Bible study, it's connected to the source. God is the source. I've been a pastor in this church now for almost 10 years. 10 years. And when we first came to this church, for those who do not know, the church was not in the best of shape. Right, Sister Doreen? Physically nor spiritually. The building was derelict with mold everywhere. And the people, if they're honest, were suspicious of me. We had all but eight people showing up with some consistency. We were depending on other churches to help us meet our assessments. And many of the members who were here thought that I would only be here for a little while before I would be shipped out and appointed to another church after one year. To be honest, when I received the appointment to Allen Temple, it was seen as a church that nobody wanted. And it was only good for being a starter church or even a place to develop a new pastor. But I prayed to God. How, Lord, can I grow this ministry? And in no uncertain terms, God said to me, let's be clear. It's my church. I will grow my church. The only reason I sent you there is to love those people. All eight of them. He sent me here to do the work. He planted me in what was good ground that no one else could see. No one knew the possibilities, 
But if you know something about God, he'll take the low and make it high. He will take the weak and make it strong. He will do and turn things around. When you think you have nothing left and he'll plant your feet on solid ground. But, but, but let me move on because I got to get it out. Since then, my wife and I have given this church as much love as we can possibly give. And to date, to date, and in our almost 10 years, we've seen the repair and the repainting of the church. A new front door, a new refrigerator, a new stove, a new water heater, a new church van. We make annual pilgrimages to, to, to Guatemala where we bring spiritual vitality, reciprocal. We, 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 we've provided financial blessings of over $4,000 in response to tragedies and disasters in Haiti, South Africa, Tennessee, Texas, Louisiana, and New York. We've provided financial blessings of over $25,000 to some of your families when disasters hit. We provided Twilight Scholarships to your children in over, over $6,000 for those who are going to college since we've been here. We brought 73 people to know the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm not done. We take on new ministry ideas that helped us through a pandemic, such as Sunday morning meditation, the sunrise stroll, the sunset blaze out on Rockaway Beach. We fed hundreds through the midnight run and even in our parking lot right here in the church. We have a new roof. We spiritually uplift you through, through, and your families through our noonday prayers with the Women's Missionary Society and we feed you with our deeply rooted Bible study. We have birthed two ministers which I am proud to say are my son and daughter in the ministry. We've got new, we've got a, a pews full of new hymnals. We show up for you when difficulties and health concerns happen to you and your loved ones. And I'm even pleased to say, I'm even pleased to say, yeah, I'm on my high horse. Yeah, I am. I'm even pleased to say that even during a pandemic, there was not one Sunday when this pulpit was vacated or empty. Even though, even though we had only four people and look at all and looking at your pictures pasted where you sit in the pews. And today, Allen Temple has truly become a beloved community caring for the physical, social, psychological, and spiritual needs of people for the advancement of the kingdom of God. 
and from the first Episcopal district through to the Christian Education, Women's Missionary Society, Church School, and the lay organization, we can be counted on. Whenever, whenever they need to see excellence. I say all of that, church, to make this point. Whether you're online or here, you know us by our fruit. When everyone wrote this church off, you know us by our fruit. So when we act like we are nothing, when we act like we're struggling and suffering, remember from whence we have come and the God that we serve. But I have to tell you, I have to tell you that while we can, and, and, and hear this, since I've been at this church, we have never missed our obligations. We have not missed one obligation. We have five big meetings every year where we as a church have to present a lot of money. And we have not missed one, not one. Now I gotta be honest with you, this last one for the Christian Education Congress, was hard, really, really hard. And the hardest I've ever experienced in my life since I've been here. We've made sacrifices that you don't even know we have made just to be able to make sure that the church is right here when you need it. Things that I'm not even gonna share from the pulpit. People don't need to, <laughs> that's for the stewards to share. But what I'm telling you is that we've made sacrifices because we believe in the ministry even when you don't believe it. For yourself. So, so, because it's been so hard, I ask the question. Did this tragedy befall us because of something we did or didn't do? Are we struggling as a church because our church has missed something? Are we still able to bear fruit like I just talked about? Uh, is, is it time for Allen Temple to be cut down? I'm asking hard questions, church. But I hear the vine dresser. I hear the vine dresser. I hear the vine dresser say, Sir, Sir, leave it alone for this year until I dig around and fertilize. Let me do a little work on this church give it a year and if it bears fruit fine but if not cut it down I struggled with this message today because I don't know if I was speaking prophetically or not but I'm talking to the church the church first of Allen Temple because judgment begins in the house of God. So I'm talking to all of us here at Allen Temple, watching online or even in the sanctuary. We are deserving of judgment if we don't bear fruit. We have a year. We have a year to bear fruit. So my brothers and my sisters, in this our 10th year of ministry, 
The master wants to see whether or not we as a church community will bear fruit. For we cannot dwell on what we have done in the past. We must look towards a new horizon. For judgment is coming. Some of you have strayed far away from the ministry. Some of you have lost your connection to the true vine and your your smart heart needs charging. Some of you have received the payout but have not made any deposits. Some of you have collected dividends but made no investments. When we focus on our outward Christian life, we can become trapped in pretense, which sadly is the case for many of you in this ministry. I'm telling you the truth. We are working hard to make sure that the church can be what you want and need it to be. But it's hard. And my stewards and trustees and the faithful ones are tired. And we are exhausted. For we should not be working this hard. But we have another chance. We must bear fruit this year. You must go to the place where you say, Lord, I repent for how I have taken your church and your ministry for granted. You see, yes, life is difficult. Yes, inflation has visited your doorstep and mine, but it's also visited the churches. And tragedy, yes, may have befallen you, but whether you are deserving of the calamity or not, we must bear fruit in the midst of it because what kind of God is going to demand from us something that he will not give and prepare us for so if you are not bearing fruit it's not because of anything else but your heart's need for repentance to say Lord he's talking to me about me not anybody else. Check yourself. You know what you have been doing. But the good news is, even if your life, and I'm taking it outside of even the realm of the church, even if your life seems to be out of control, where you are not bearing the kind of fruit that you would like to bear, this, the pastoral appeal is not for you to do anything else but repent. That's it. Repent. Own your mess. Own it. Because when you own your mess and you are honest about it, nowhere in the text did it say that the fig tree needed to do something else. It was the vine dresser who brought the fertilizer that made the tree bear fruit. So if you want to bear fruit in your lives, you need the fertilizer from the vine dresser. And if you can humble yourself enough, not just as an individual, but as a church community, Allen Temple, we are dying. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So, so, 
before I invite you all to repent on your own as the pastor of this church I'm going to repent for Allen Temple I'm going to repent for Allen Temple because unless the vine dresser comes we're not going to bear any fruit this year and I'm talking about this year so if that meant anything to you pray with me now eternal God our Father in the name of Jesus Christ I first acknowledge my own need for repentance father I have taken for granted that everything that we have will always be here as long as we keep doing what we do but that is not true I have taken these folks for granted and I've taken you for granted and today Lord I repent I repent for how I have misunderstood so many things thinking oh God that I'm I can lean to my own understanding at times and things will get better just because I say so or because I want it to be so but the truth is Lord as I bear witness to everyone who's hearing me this church will never bear fruit unless the vine dresser fertilizes it and so father today we repent we repent as a church community for how we've taken each other for granted. Maybe, Lord, we have not given enough. Maybe, oh Lord, we have not checked on each other enough. Maybe, oh Lord, we have not participated and stood on the sidelines just waiting for someone else to do what you have called all of us to do. So I repent, Lord, not for just myself, but for the entire church. And so, Father, as you hear this prayer, send the vine dresser. Send the vine dresser now, Lord, to fertilize. And may this message be a time stamp for everyone who hears it today that they will now be transformed inside, that they can now bear fruit, not just in their lives but in the lives of all those for whom you have called. Bless us, O oh God, one more time. We are unworthy in of ourselves, but we are worthy to call upon your name. So we thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer today. Thank you for the vine dresser. Thank you for the fertilizer. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to do your work as we now endeavor to bear fruit. This we pray in Jesus' name. And the church said amen, amen, amen and amen. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.